Hello and welcome to the second day of SPE Offshore Europe 2023. We're on the show floor and I'm joined today by Callum Gray, Corporate Finance Partner at AAB. Callum, first of all, how are you getting on? Very good, thank you. Delighted to see everybody back and, and see the show buzzing. I know, it's four years. It, it both feels like four years has passed and it doesn't feel like four years has passed. I'm not sure how that's... Uh, how that's entirely true but but i mean just so how good is it to get back to these sorts of conferences we, we you really miss them when they're away do you know what I, I think that um the four years has shown exactly what we've missed yeah and it's it's brilliant to see such a good number of exhibitors i think that also it's good to see how things have changed and to be able to touch and feel things on the stands and have that in-person conversation and understand what people are up to and their intent for the future is really good um you know the press on when you read it via the internet or, or on paper is so much, yeah. but actually having that sort of real in-depth conversation with someone, just you can't beat it. No, you really can't. There's kind of no substitute for it. But, but what have been some of the kind of key themes from the, maybe the panel sessions or what you've been hearing from people on the floor and, and perhaps how have they changed since four years ago? Well, I, I think there's a real emphasis on, you know, what is the future energy sources looking like and, and how, are, how are they going to come together? And I think there's a a real push on that needs to be a, a balanced and sustainable portfolio. Yep. Um, that was a real key theme from yesterday's breakfast. And everybody has their part to play was another key item I took. And when I say everyone, as diverse as possible so that we can get, uh, get into schools at an early stage and, and really pass on that message that we are here for the long term, you know, in a sustainable way in all kinds. I think that um, the up and coming future, particularly at a young age, and emphasize why we do what, where we do it and how we yeah. do it, but also what do we then need to do to be compliant with the, with the net zero targets is a real key thing. I think that early engagement and STEM part, it, it comes up at all conferences, but it has been particularly pertinent here. And, and it, it, we're gonna come to skills shortly, but it's especially important when we consider skills or perhaps their lack thereof in the industry, energy industry currently. But to move on, so we've got one of the Energy Voice supplements here of which you can come pick one up by the stand if you're at the conference. But you've penned an article for it this month. Can you kind of give us a, an overview, a two-minute summation of, of, of the key themes you've been hitting at? Sure. So there's no doubt that uh, M&A activity in 2022, it, it, it had a bumper year. You know, there was a lot of pent-up frustration. Um, there was also sort of not much to talk about in terms of, of the COVID impact on business. And I think we, we saw that coming through in conversations being able to be had opportunities and therefore things that were perhaps paused, delayed, impacted, uh, coming to fruition, which yeah. is really great to see. 2023 has started off in terms of, it's a buyer's market. You know, there, there are still opportunities, but the buyer pool is not as obvious as it once was. So people have to be, uh, you know, more appealing. They have to stand out from the crowd. Yeah. And, and clearly with the, the rising cost of debt, um, that's a challenge. So there's more sort of, of people being selective, if you will, um, in terms of opportunities. But what one key theme that we have noticed and uh, it's been really interesting to watch is around that, that engineering services. Yeah. You know, people who are at the sharp end of a lot of these big projects um, in terms of, you know, they're selling time. They've been, as you rightly say, impacted by the skill shortage, but projects need to happen. And those that uh, have certainly got the resources we're seeing being very active, predominantly trade, um, but you can see that some of these businesses have, have said we're now want to be on a journey yeah. and part of that is through M&A activity and, and part of that is getting into new areas. So it's been really interesting to see, and, you know, it's across the board 
Um, but it's really encouraging that if people are, are seeing that and looking to the future and building out their bases geographically and the service line, and I think that's encouraging for the medium term and longer term, because if those projects are happening now yeah. and there's a demand for it, hopefully with the funding will come and these projects will come on stream. Do you think it's easier for those sorts type of companies to kind of display their their own transition because they've kind of got the tactile projects, the energy transition projects they're working on and they've also got that oil and gas. They've got a really nice kind of blend, a lot of them. They're able to demonstrate it in a kind of black and white way. Absolutely, and, and, and I think that some are real trailblazers. You know, I think there's a real opportunity for a lot of the rhetoric that's out there about the just transition and about the critical path that somebody needs to live, live and breathe it. And I think that a lot of these companies have got a real opportunity. RSK is a very good example. At its core, it's best known as an environmental consultancy business. Yeah. And have real taken the opportunity to set themselves a target of 5 billion revenue by 2030. Now, clearly that's gonna come from multiple facets of engineering, but there's so many commonalities. There's such a knowledge base there. And when you start to bolt on the likes of PD&MS, which is more predominantly known in the oil and gas space, yeah. Um, access well, predominantly known for carbon capture and for reservoir engineering. You build out these niche specialisms on top of a real fundamental solid foundation. And I think that's great in terms of the future because that it's exciting. And I think that the, the generations that are coming through are asking for these opportunities to say, oil and gas, I, need, I want to know and I need to know the fundamentals of that, but I also then want to apply it to, to say a different area. Yeah. And when these companies can offer such opportunities, I think that benefits all. We've obviously seen wood being coveted as well, and, and perhaps that's been paused for the time time being, but we might see something something else happen there. Not that we know anything, but we uh, we might see something in the future. Another really good example where, you know, wood as a business has, has made a number of, of uh, key strategic decisions, um, some of which have, in, have resulted in divestment and a real focus on, you know, the core business now. Um, I dare say businesses of that ilk interest will be there because they're at the sharper end yeah. to which um, you know these medium and longer term contracts will come but it's about a balance yeah. you know and it's about that just transition so it's not just going to be a stop of one and a beginning of the other you know you can apply the engineers in my experience certainly love the challenge and yeah. that's what they're very good at and we are as a nation and as a city renowned for that engineering capability so to be able to then take that and sell it overseas and export it again it goes back to our roots it's it's what we have done in the past from a number of industries and i think that's uh, that is you know a really good future for us absolutely and and it seems like there's been this move of private equity in the in the energy transition market that's kind of gone hand in hand with private equity move in the north sea oil and gas market what sort of impacts that having it and i suppose private equity moves in it makes its money and then it moves on so so what's the kind of like timeline going to be for these for these uh for these buyers? You know, typically these funds will work to 10-year programs. Yeah. They'll, they'll look to invest in their first five years and then they'll look to harvest from year six onwards. So that I don't see that changing. What I do think and see in the market is that a lot of these bigger projects, the money I think is going to come from predominantly other sources. And what I mean by that is, is the likes of the pension funds um, and your investment banks and also government support. To do that, together with the trade input. So the Project Acorn is a very good example. We have Macquarie in there from the investment banking side. You have Storega, Storega leading that project from the engineering capability, and then it's supported by Shell and Harbour yeah. from, uh, from a trade perspective. That collaborative approach, you know, it's covering all angles of, of what's needed in a project. Then the government come in and, you know, and green light it into track two, which was 
much needed and, and, and yeah, very welcome. Uh, uh, yeah. Absolutely. So now from that, you're thinking, right, there's a really good example of something local for us. Where I see the private equity beginning to get more interested is the service and maintenance of these big projects. So that's what they like is, as is well known, they like stability and they, they like, you know, the visibility of what's coming down the track. So no surprises. And I think that you get that with these service companies. So it's not to say they won't be in. I just think that you'll see more activity once these things begin to come on stream. So be that in the infrastructure stage and then also the, the maintenance. So like the next piece of the puzzle is Exactly was. that, yes. But what we also are seeing is a number of these green funds. And again, they want those kind of steady assets um, into the likes of onshore wind in particular, yeah. anaerobic digester systems, asset heavy where you know, should things go wrong, there is an asset base in which they can protect their investment. Of course, we, we don't hope that, but it's, it needs to be considered. And I think there's a real persuasion is to try and find these sustainable opportunities that are going to throw off kind of that regular income. Again, I see interest in those as well. And does, in the kind of IPO space with renewables companies, is there much movement there? We've seen a couple of oil and gas IPOs. Um, and perhaps the market's not where it was, certainly was a few years ago. What's kind of happening in the green energy space there? So it's a real interesting time. And, and you, it's interesting you touch on the sentiment. I think when we, people have been watching with a lot of interest, particularly with Ithaca coming to the market and, you know, the impact that has versus, you know, the cost versus the benefits of, of being able to, to look at the bigger capital markets, but then obviously the reporting requirements and, and how open you need to be with investors. Yeah. Um, about your intent. What we're seeing is, I think in the short term, we're not quite there yet because investors want those, you know, visibility in terms of where a lot of these uh, these projects are going. So I think for this year, um, to the best of my knowledge, it might be too soon. Yep. That said, I think, as I say, these, these projects are multi-million pounds and the capital market, you know, it, being listed is, is giving yourself more opportunity. Mm -hmm. I think there's just some time to get there. So that is tied in very neatly with government uh, policy in terms of that regulatory framework, I think is coming. Those that are, say, the, maybe the more battery storage, I think there will be more there because yeah. you're, you're asset heavy and you can see how that links into the upgrades of the grid. Um, but when it comes to more kind of hydrogen projects, my pound down on the table tells me, I think that what you'll find is it's more the service businesses that are more likely to list um, you know, you've seen wood already at the table. Yeah. So I think companies of that ilk who are involved in these projects actually coming to the market. I suppose the fact that they've got many plates spinning at once gives them that kind of a broad range of services and, and uh, large revenue streams or diverse revenue streams that is a big bonus as well. But coming back to that kind of pension fund idea and things, we've seen a lot of capital flight from oil and gas, ESG driving the, uh, the investor agenda. Has that been to the benefit of these kind of services companies and, and the energy transition, that kind of movement of capital, perhaps pivot of capital? Well, it, it's, a, it's a really interesting point because there's, there doesn't seem to be one common theme. Um, you know, everything seems to be taken based on its own merits, if you like. I think what we are seeing is that you definitely need to be demonstrating. It's very high up on the agenda, really early in the conversation with yeah. investors now. What is your ESG policy? You know, who's responsible for it? What's your reporting requirements? Come and show us your brochures and documents to say that you're doing this. 
I also think the staff expect it as well. Um, and we have a generation of people who are very, very interested in, and actually on point with this. And I think that's been an education for myself. And I'm, I'm the first to admit that, but I've, I found it very interesting to say there's a real focus on culture. That plays back into that skills point, doesn't Absolutely. it? Of trying to attract the right people. And, and, and I think there's a real, a real movement positively here to be, and a real opportunity for the industry to speak high, wide and handsome as to what they are doing. Yeah. I think if anything, um, I don't want to make a, a slight on the industry that's, that's given me a living, but I think that one thing we could be doing is being you know, a bolder with our statistics and our rhetoric around, you know, what are we doing? Because if we really drive that, people out with the city and, and out with the industry, you know, they look at it and say, fine, but they also then hear, I suppose, the, the negativity that can come with the industry. But as was mentioned yesterday, when it, when it takes double to four times the carbon footprint to import gas versus our own supply, yeah. surely that, that can't be sustainable for us to meet our targets. So do people know that? Well, I suspect the minority, so we think there's an opportunity to be a bit more bolder in our approach and, and informing and educating people, which again, hopefully attracts more, or at least that education piece, if people can understand it better. Excellent. And so, so just kind of one point to finish on, I suppose, if you're writing this kind of similar M&A article in, say, two years' time, hopefully it's not another four years before we're, <laughs> we're back here at Offshore Europe. But when you write this, this article again, perhaps in a couple of years and looking at trends then, what do you expect to see? And what, what, what are kind of some of the emerging points, issues, challenges that, that are going to be there? So I, I think in the shorter term, um, you know, there are a number of companies who've had private equity investment for, for perhaps longer than expected. Yeah. Um, that's not a negativity, that's just the situation. So I would expect to see into next year, now that these businesses are, are in a good and better place, that they'll move on. Um, so I think there's a new swathe of investor or trade buyer into 2024. So I think the interest is there. As I say, there's a real opportunity for companies if they are thinking about new investment or, or taking their business to the next level, you have to be prepared with that ESG policy, with that culture, with that staff on board. So none of that is particularly new, it's just applying it to the expectations that are there currently. Yeah. Um, so what you, you know, thinking of these things early, having a plan if it's not there already or making sure it's fit for purpose or sharpening it and making sure it's on point. Again, it's for the benefit of the company anyway, regardless yeah. of a process. So that's going to continue. I think what's going to happen as well is people are going to have more opportunity to demonstrate these projects that they've been working on because there are more of them. Yeah. So when everybody comes back and said, I would have liked to have gone further with you, but if you'd had more credentials in X, Y, and Z space, well, they're there now. So you can demonstrate that to a buyer and have an informed conversation. So I think 2023, of course, the levels have been less because of the reasons I mentioned about 2022. I don't think we'll get back to 2022 levels, but I think it will be better than this year. Excellent. I think that's a fantastic point to finish on and, and lots of kind of good advice there, I suppose, for, for companies and for buyers and everyone to, to take away. So, Callum, thank you very much for your time. That was brilliant. And for updates throughout Offshore Europe, head to energyvoice.com. Out Loud is the podcast from Energy Voice leading the global energy conversation. Bookmark and subscribe to energyvoice.com, sign up to our newsletter and follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter for expert analysis and insight right across the energy sector.
Subscribe to Out Loud on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And please do encourage colleagues and friends to listen to Out Loud too. If you've enjoyed it, leaving a rating or review, especially on Apple Podcasts, helps others discover it too. Thank you.